Well, you know, for a brief moment in time, it was wonderful. We maximized shareholder value and the world was destroyed. So, so uh, you know, left to itself with, with no values, money will often be put into things that cause social and environmental harm. Change is possible, but people have to mobilize in order to achieve that change. And people have to make decisions that are consistent with their values in order to achieve that change. So whether you're a conscious consumer or a mindful investor, it doesn't come automatically. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Barry, a really warm welcome to Purposely Podcast. Kia ora, Mark. Kia ora. Um, you're the founder and CEO of Mindful Money. What's its mission and vision? Mindful Money was set up as, as a charity, We're like a charitable social enterprise. And we, and we set up in order to um, channel money, investment money, uh, away from things that do harm to people and the planet into things that do good. So it's quite a simple proposition that, that we all have discretionary investment that we may put into KiwiSaver or an investment fund. And we can either invest that in nuclear weapons or fossil fuels or companies that do bad things, or we can invest it in things that um, do good in the world, the renewable energy or social housing or healthcare. So we have those choices. And the irony is that actually if we put our money into things that do good, we often have a higher return than if we put our money into bad things. There's agreement out there now, isn't there, which is relatively recent, that um, you know, investing in clean energies, um, investing in social good or companies that are driving that agenda doesn't necessarily mean um, bad returns. It's particularly around the funds that invest in in better companies, in companies with higher standards and, and uh, for example, lower uh, risks from climate change. Over a period of time, those companies and the, and the funds that invest in them have done generally better uh, and at a lower risk. So it's turned the whole equation on its head. Normally, if you go out and buy your free-range organic eggs, you have to pay more. But actually, the irony here is that uh, you can invest in things that uh, avoid companies that, that are contrary to your values, invest in things that are consistent with your values, and you can earn good returns and often better returns than you would otherwise. So it's a kind of, it's like a, you know, terrible expression, but it's kind of like a win-win. And money is crucial to the world reversing the damage done to the environment and ensuring we meet some of those goals that we need to meet to, 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 to stay stay human. Um, what part does money play? There's a lovely cartoon that we often use to, to kind of describe what Mindful Money does, but it has people in a, a cave after a, a, a sort of a catastrophe and the world's kind of uh, a, uh, a, a very different place with, with people living in subsistence and this guy's sitting there saying, well, you know, for a brief moment in time, it was wonderful. We maximized shareholder value. 
and the world was destroyed. So, so uh, you know, left to itself with, with no values, money will often be put into things that cause social and environmental harm. And it doesn't have to be that way. And so, you know, for too long, people have pumped their money into companies that make fossil fuels or, or companies that test their products on animals or into gambling or, or pornography. Or, or So there's a whole range of things that our money is, is put into if we're not mindful. And it's one of the reasons we call it mindful money, because if you're mindful these days, you have choices and you have choices where you put your money and it has a massive impact. And, you know, for example, the, the um, uh, climate impact of your investments is, is absolutely huge. And you can invest now in funds that have pledged to reduce the emissions from their portfolios, from, from, from the money you invest. And uh, that can make a real difference, particularly when it's channeled into renewable energy and climate solutions. I've seen numbers quoted like $6 trillion American dollars going to be needed to deliver um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, is that, for, do you think that figure's just plucked out of the air or do you think there's some, that those sorts of figures are well thought through and it is going to take that level of cash to ensure we, because it doesn't come without a cost, right, moving towards renewable energy and, and there's a transition period? Yes and no. Um, you know, these days, if you invest in, in fossil companies that make fossil fuels, it's, a, it's not only a stupid thing to do in terms of the climate, it's a stupid thing to do financially. Uh, in most cases, because the the value of fossil fuel companies has been plummeting. Um, so, you know, in some cases, actually it's not really going to cost the world a whole lot more in order to make this transition into a zero carbon and sustainable world. Um, and in other cases, it will. Uh, and so, you know, it's hard to generalize and, it's, and uh, I'm afraid I don't trust those big numbers because t typically they are rather sort of based on multiple assumptions. But the most important thing that, that people can, uh, can understand is, is that they're, they're faced with some, some choices around their own investment. And, you know, we have this theory at Mindful Money that change is going to come from the consumers. Change is going to come from us. We're, we're going to convince the financial institutions that they need to really change the way they invest our money uh, and then invest the money of big institutions. And that's going to have a catalytic effect in pushing more money towards the climate solutions. And, um, you know, I have to say that things have been going amazingly well since we started two and a half years ago. And we're having... We're having a huge influence. Lots of people are, are going on to the Mindful Money website. We show them where their money is currently invested in whatever KiwiSaver fund they have or whatever retail investment fund they have. And when people see what they're invested in, and it's really easy to find out on our website, then, then typically they say, well, actually, I don't want to invest in those companies. That's not consistent with my values. And so we help point out where the alternative funds are that can that do invest in, in better companies yeah i did it myself actually i went on your site and um i found it fascinating and I, I thought of you guys and i thought there must be 
real you must have a real dialogue with the a the fund managers so you and and a pressure to get it right so that you get the allocations right huge pressure to get it right otherwise they get really upset when we say wrong things about them but we've got as you could see we've got uh, 320 KiwiSaver funds there and about seven uh, and about 500 sorry 430 retail investment funds so there's over 700 funds on the website and for every one of those funds you can go and find out what companies they invest in and not only what they directly invest in but what they invest in via the funds that they invest in which is what most uh, most of the these fund managers do and and so you see it on a look through basis so so it's a it's a huge data exercise um, you know, millions of records. But, you know, we we uh, we have lots of good verification and we send it to all the fund managers before we publish it to make sure that before it goes live, before um, uh, before any mistakes can be made. So so it's good. You know, we have uh, we have constant pressure for for accuracy and we have good systems of verification to make sure that that's the case. Um, the uh, uh, the nice thing is now you know we're finding um, lots of fund managers very welcoming because they see the way that the world is now running. They see the way that people care about sustainability, that they care about climate change, and now they're starting to change. And the good thing for for the general public is there are so many more options than there ever were previously. Once upon a time, there were only one or two niche funds that were ethical funds, and now there are many options and some very good options for people to choose from. Yeah. And when did the inspiration come in, and when, when did it turn into sort of something that you moved on and became a reality? Uh, had a fairly varied career, one might say, Mark. But uh, in in 1992, which shows, I'm afraid, how old I am, I was at uh, the Earth Summit, uh, which some people may remember as being kind of the birthplace of sustainability and sustainable development. And in those days, we worked on a whole lot of uh, solutions that that needed change in terms of of operationalizing sustainability. So there was stuff for local government, there was stuff for consumers, there were campaigns, but there was also ethical investment. And I was involved in the early days of ethical investment in the UK and uh, retained um, sort of work subsequently while I went off and uh, uh, did lots of other things. Ma managed Oxfam for, for a decade in New Zealand and uh, uh, worked for WWF and and uh, uh, and was briefly in Parliament as a Green Party MP, etc. So, so um, I wanted to come back to this issue of, of of money because money is so powerful. Money, you know, the the old the old saying, "Money makes the world go round." Well, yes, it does, but it depends on what kind of world we want to make, and money has a really really powerful influence. Uh, so, so that's why I wanted to come back. Not, not because uh, um, of of any, you know, great desire to 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 work on financial things, but because I realise it's possibly the most important lever that we can pull in order to make progress towards the things that we really care about. Yeah, and and you know that's uh, for me that's that's kind of the touchstone of of what I've done through my career.
career, I wanted to, to work on things that would make sustainability real. And just picking up on what you said there, so you're a member of parliament for the Green Party. Um, I have it down as you did it for about a year. <laughs> what was it like? Did, it, did, it, did you feel like your face fitted? Oh, it was very strange. I, I uh, went into parliament as a list MP when uh, uh, Kevin Haig from the Green Party left to go to Forest and Bird. And so I had uh, less than a year before a tumultuous election and uh, the Green Party's vote collapsed and I didn't get back into Parliament. So I, um, uh, I decided uh, at that stage not to, not to stand again. Uh, I guess I felt that uh, probably my strengths were, were not within Parliament. Uh, I, you know, frankly, I didn't enjoy it hugely, and and uh, I'd rather be doing other things. And most of my career has been spent influencing people in the economy and governments from outside of politics, and it's where I felt more comfortable. What specifically do you remember? Like the things that used to really irritate you, or the stuff that you didn't feel really fitted your personality or your values. Oh, a number of things, Mark. The the um, the silly shouting matches and debates in Parliament used to to annoy me intensely. The uh, um, the process where government committees, the select committees, look at legislation, absolutely appalled me because I don't think most of the members of of the select committees did their work, and I constantly found that that. Other people weren't properly reading their papers and and doing the work and and uh, and yet the legislation got railroaded through uh, um, by the the majority government. So so that annoyed me. I I also am not the kind of person who really um, walks into a room and the first thing they think of is how can I get a photograph of myself that is going to be able to be posted on Facebook and make me famous. That's kind of not who I am, uh, and these days that's really helpful in politics. So, uh, you know, I, I work in different ways, and, and I'd much rather kind of work behind the scenes, support people, and do good work and be recognised for that, rather than the kind of uh, self-promotion that you need to do in order to be a successful politician. And you talked about leading Oxfam New Zealand for a I think it was for a decade, wasn't it? Which is a significant stint. Tell us a bit more about that. When I started work on sustainability in the 1990s, I, uh, I approached it uh, initially from, from an environmental perspective, being, being sort of passionate about the environment and conservation. Um, but increasingly, I found myself drawn by the crisis in the developing world and, and the issues of poverty and injustice in developing countries. And it's... One of those issues that, that I don't think we think enough and talk about enough in countries where we have more than enough to go around. And uh, so I dedicated myself to, to working in international development for, in the end, it was about uh, 15 years and, and uh, 10 of those at, at Oxfam. And, and uh, I, uh, I think it's really important work. And, and I think that there are so many people in the world whose chances in life are determined by where they were born and, the, and their circumstances, both in New Zealand and internationally, and uh, I think that's deeply unfair and 
it's it's a it's a good life's work to to try to uh, provide better rights and opportunities for those who who don't have sufficient rights. And do you feel in that ten years? Do you feel like you made an impact personally? Yeah, um, those were those were good years for for Oxfam New Zealand. We grew rapidly. We um, focused on the poorest parts of the Pacific, uh, not only kind of some programs in Samoa and Tonga, but increasingly in the poorer countries like Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, and the uh, and and you know New Zealand has has um, real lack of rights and lack of opportunities for, for people in, in our Pacific neighbourhood. And it's really where we have a responsibility. And I think we did great work in Oxfam and I was uh, very proud of, of what we did. And we also did lots of work to educate the public around around these issues. And I, I think generally in the development community, that hasn't happened so much in the last five years. And, and I really miss it because a generation of, of people are, uh, are growing up without feeling like we actually are deeply privileged in, in a country like New Zealand overall. Not, not all of us by, by any means, but, but many of us who can turn on a tap and have clean water instead of, of having to walk two hours and, and find water that's going to make uh, our kids sick. You know, so, so you know, comparatively, we, we, uh, we're very fortunate. And uh, I, th- I think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing for us to remind ourselves of the fact that there are many others in, in the world who, who do not have the things that we take for granted. You left there. Difficult decision to leave. What What were you going to in your mind? What were you? Why did you leave? And what were you going to do? I went into politics, and and that was the stage where I uh, I felt like I could uh, could make a contribution and wanted to to try politics. In the meantime, while I was waiting to get into Parliament, I I had uh, a really interesting two years at University of Auckland, setting up a sustainability program, which uh, which I, I, I really enjoyed albeit uh, with some frustrations about working in university systems, uh, which, which I found uh, extremely tough. But, but we, uh, we had, had the start of an exciting program, and uh, so I enjoyed, enjoyed that uh, in the meantime before going into Parliament for a year and then, and then ultimately starting up Mind for Money. And it feels like, you know, pe- <laughs> greenies, as I remember them being called in the 80s and the 90s, and, you know, if you believed in the environment or you believed in protect the environment, you believed in a lot of these things around temperature control and stuff like that, or you, you were kind of seen as a bit avant-garde, but that's changed and changing. And I think one place that's really changing is business and this idea that you touched on before, which is around businesses being about more than just shareholder value. Do in many ways you have more hope for business to solve the world, some of the world's problems more so than politics and maybe even education? I've been a bit uh, strange on all of this stuff, Mark, because uh, I actually have a degree in economics uh, as an undergrad and uh, a master's of management from Yale. So, so you know, I've kind of had one foot in economics and business uh, as well as kind of being a, a passionate about sustainability. So, so, you know, I've always been associated with with. Kind of what's happening in business. I've seen a huge change, and I, I I think the change 
started off with with a lot of greenwash but now there are some very genuine changes going on and many companies uh, are doing fabulous work I'm, I'm also on the uh, um, the board of sustainable business network in New Zealand for example and and that's full of the most amazing companies doing just absolutely fantastic work and and you can't you can't sort of look across the business community and and, and um, imagine that they're homogeneous because they are not and nor is the finance sector so while some people are stuck in the past and they just want to make money no matter what the cost actually the weight of of the the companies are shifting much more towards sustainability and recognizing that that their actions have consequences on the environment and on people and that's now translated into the financial community and into investment and banking so so we're seeing in our lifetimes a huge change going on that being said there's still far more talk than action so so you know that's that's the uh, uh, that's the kind of role in a way that we have as as watchdogs of mindful money in the, in that we provide people with the information to be able to cut through the greenwash and say, well, who's actually doing it? You know, what companies are they actually investing in? Because companies can talk all they like about what they're doing, but the reality is is what are they what are they investing in? Where are they putting their money? And that's really where you can't hide. Uh, that's the glare of transparency that we're trying to bring to the finance sector. In terms of generational pressure for businesses to get this right, as you know, younger people coming through, becoming consumers, um, do you, do you feel like they're a, a force for good as well? So the, the younger um, millennials or even younger starting to rethink how business is done, or you know, not that all the pressure should be on the younger group, but it, but it's super important to them because they see a future uh, if there is climate. You know, if there's, a, if there's a, a significant increase in the temperature of of the world, when you know, post-industrial times, we don't know if we can even live in those, you know, two, three percent Celsius higher. What's what's your take on that younger generation? Do you have real hope? I do, but it's not automatic. That actually, you know, we're finding that change is possible, but people have to mobilise in order to achieve that change. And people have to make decisions that are consistent with their values in order to achieve that change. So whether you're a conscious consumer or a mindful investor, it doesn't come automatically. You've got to, you've got to look at um, what the consequences of your actions are and take the choices that, that are your personal responsibility. And also act, act uh, in, in, uh, on a societal level. So, so it's been great to see student marches against climate, for example, but actually it's not the fact that people would go to one or two demonstrations that is really going to produce change, is that people keep on doing it and that people manifest those values through their lives. And you asked previously, you know, will business save the world? I have no illusion at all that business uh, will not save the world. You know, it's it's up it's up to all of us. And uh, typically, my experience is that governments tend to act when the people decide that the government should act. 
So governments will follow their, their, their public opinion rather than lead it. And so, you know, the emphasis is on all of us to, to make the changes as consumers, as investors, but also as voters and as people who are politically active in order to make these changes. Because in the end, it will, it will need government action in order to, to make the profound changes that we need uh, on, on climate change. You know, gov- business can go so far, but actually government has to, to really set the framework of rules uh, that will, will make the difference. And you know, that includes, for example, properly pricing uh, emissions of carbon dioxide and, and methane. And we're just so far away from that in New Zealand and internationally. And it's the most, you know, one of the most basic things that government should do. They should, they should be pricing properly um, the, the full costs of, of people who produce things and pollute. And, and at the moment, the polluters are getting away with essentially um, externalizing or, or, or loading the, their costs onto the public. And, and we, all, we all pay the cost of that. Uh, and you know, people around the world, particularly in, in, on the front lines of climate change, are, are paying the costs. Do you um, feel hopeful about the goals that have been set recently, you know, renewed recently at COP26, but set at the, you know, the Paris Accord around, the, you know, the global temperature being limited, do you, you know, and, and a lot of focus on 2050. Do you feel that goals are achievable, keeping the temperature down to 1.5? I've been to uh, about seven of those ministerial meetings on climate change, including the one in Paris and and, uh, and a number in the, the early days. They're deeply depressing affairs because governments go there and typically they, they act as if their only interest is, is in trying to make as few obligations as possible on themselves. And it, it, really, it really is a... Uh, a, a a pretty depressing experience uh, to to go to these climate change negotiations. So uh, I wasn't at the last one. I, I, my uh, um, my commiserations for those who who were there because it, it's really it's really a difficult process. So no, I, d- I don't think governments are stepping up to to the issues yet. There was some more commitments from business, and and one of the things that uh, that we did in Mindful Money is we we formed a coalition of other organisations to push New Zealand fund managers um, and asset owners, you know, like trusts and foundations uh, and others, uh, to um, to make those commitments to to reduce emissions in their portfolios in their in their funds that they manage, and that's really important because it then puts the pressure back on companies, not only from their consumers, but also from the investors. And so it's a way of driving down the emissions. And we had a number of, of funds that have subsequently signed up to net zero targets for their funds. Uh, and uh, um, so I'm really, you know, I'm really pleased that that process has been going on. Um, but again, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg, and we have we have so much more to do before the the targets and the promises are converted into action. Yeah, well, I think mindful money has made a, uh, a really positive impact from what I've seen. So, congratulations on that. And for you personally, um, you, how big's your team? What does what does mindful money look like in terms of operationally? <laughs> 
Well, I, I started Mind for Money uh, kind of uh, with with uh, my own my own money and a few donations from from uh, friends from from people who got it and and were committed to it. But really, we've built Mind for Money off the as I say the smell of an oily rag and and. Uh, um, then I, I um, was lucky enough to find uh, uh, some fabulous uh, people to work with, um, somebody called Karen Swainson and uh, Amy Coulson. They're, they're both uh, working with me on Mindful Money now. But also we have a huge team of volunteers and just the most fantastic people who are really, really skilled and they are passionate about about the cause of mindful money, and they—they they, because we can't, you know, we're still a small charity. Um, uh, we can't afford to to pay for lots of salaries, and people come along. They they work with us. They volunteer. They do great work. They get good good uh, experience on their CV. We give them references, uh, and they go on to get fantastic jobs. So so, you know, so we're really we're really thrilled with with uh, the progress that we've made with with very very little money, um, uh, but lots of of great passion and uh, and energy and and. Uh, we're now really at the liftoff stage. Over the last year, the numbers of people coming to our website have tripled. Uh, we've, we've got lots of, of funds and companies who are really interested in what we're doing and want to be associated with the cause of Mindful Money. We run a fabulous online seminar series if people want to find out about that. Um, uh, and... Uh, um, so you know we're doing we're doing lots of different programs. We've we've got annual awards events and uh, for ethical investment and so on. So as a small team, we're we're doing lots of lots of good work and and uh, uh, we're feeling very energised by twenty twenty two and and can't wait to uh, uh, to do more. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining me on purpose. I really appreciate it. And um, good luck to you and also Mindful Money in the future. Cool, Mark. And, and uh, if we can just tell people the URL is www.mindfulmoney.nz if, uh, if they want to go and have a look. Yeah, follow me. I, it was a good experience and uh, I found it incredible. I was, I was amazed at the, the depth uh, and accuracy of the information. So, yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.